0: There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitisation, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk
1: The Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey with Workflow Solutions.
2: Tom, how's the wee legs after your excerpts at the kilt walk? <laughs> <laughs> My wee legs were a bit Willy Willie, um, to use a good Ayrshire phrase. But um, the weather might have been damp and dreech, but the spirit of the kilt walkers, the biggest ever, just under 14,000, but more importantly... 856 different Scottish charities were helping those who need it most, Willie. So it was a magnificent day. Thanks to Big Eddie and Arnold Clark and RBS, Nat West, Johnson Carmichael. Really, people have been with us from the beginning. The Kiltwalk family, oh, I'm very proud of it and it was brilliant. It's, it's really turning out to be the charity event of the year. When we first got involved, Wally, we were saying, right, what is the kilt walk? And we decided, you know, we've got Paul Cooney, a a friend of the Go business show and the football show. We said, right, what could the kilt walk be? And we decided it was to be the lowest cost platform for any and every Scottish charity to raise money for what they believe in. Because it's very hard. Sometimes it costs charities 80 pence to raise a pound. With a kilt walk, we've brought down the prices. It's only £20 to enter now, and you raise money for what you believe in. And every single penny and the gift aid goes to the charity of your choice. Fantastic. And when you're given
3: a charity, it's always a great comfort to understand that, that the biggest percentage of the money is actually going to the people who need it most. So, so well yeah. done to everybody who done yeah. the kilt walk.
2: Very proud, Willie. Thanks for asking.
3: We mentioned last week about the embarrassment of not being able to get an auditor. <laughs> and we were talking I think we about have some way. news in that. We, we, we have we... some news that the SNP have managed to find new auditors a uh, uh, small company down from the middle of England, right? So it's interesting when you seen the banners yesterday, No, you know, the Scottish Nationalist Party audited in England, right? So that's interesting. So at least to be fair now, they've found auditors and that should help them with their 1.2 million of short
2: money from the government. So that was interesting to me, Willie. You you would have known about it. I I didn't know about it. But if they couldn't have found auditors they were going to lose 1.2 million of so-called short money that's provided by Westminster. Do you think the SNP supporters know that Westminster supports the SNP? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, if they didn't they
3: certainly know now uh, and how this money is spent is you know with staffing and various other things you know for, for, the, for to keep the machine going so it would have been a major major problem that shortfall I'm sure people might have lost jobs and these other things so um, it'll be interesting to see how that one works out
2: yeah I mean they talk about being the party of transparency but during the leadership contest and debate, the three candidates didn't seem to know they had lost the orators, so the, the high hegens in the party were keeping it from everyone. But I read another interesting article this week, Willie, and it was, um, it was 15 high-ranking former politicians and officials gave evidence to a Holyrood committee about how decisions are made in government and Scottish government And I'm afraid it was very, very poor reading. We talked last week about if we want the best possible people to run our country. Just like if you're running a business, you want the best possible talent. You know, attraction and retention of talent is the number one thing any founder can do. And this committee, I mean, I must say it it made some grim reading for me, but... Basically, the government's making rushed and unclear decision. There's no accountability, and it's just no way to run a country, Willie. We need better.
3: I think there was a great example of that this week, Tom. When on debate night, when the, you know some politicians from all parties um, were interviewed and on a panel, and it was a rural community of Dumfries and Galloway. Right. There was a lot of farmers and people involved in the fishing industry. And the whole message from everyone in the audience to all was none of you are listening. Right. They're saying that the, the farming industry and especially the marine industry, fishing, what have you, is being decimated by wrong decisions being made by politicians. And the point they were making, the point you make every week is nobody was listening
2: to them. Yeah. This is, this is policy being made in a vacuum against Willie. So make policy with the people that um, it's going to um, target, it's going to involve them, um, because they're the ones who, who who know. And a good policy is one that listens to all parties. Now, there's some tough decisions to make, of course there are, but these communities feel, especially with the new fishing exclusions, those communities feel excluded from the process And nobody's listening. And it's such an easy thing to change, Willie. So easy to change it. We talk in the programme, you know, most weeks
3: about the importance of growth. And it's interesting to see that in the latest statistics that the the margin for growth in Scotland over the next period is very, very narrow at
2: 0.3%. 0.3%, Willie. What do we do? So this was a PwC report that came out and it it basically said the Scottish economy is growing slower than all regions in England, slower than Northern Ireland. And um, so what can we do? I mean, I think, and we talk about it on the show every time, um, Kate Forbes did come out with a national economic programme and and she did go around and listen. You know, she spoke to you, she spoke to me, she spoke to a lot of interested parties. But maybe just in the politics, because she lost the leadership, what's happening with it? I haven't heard, Willie. Is it just put on a shelf now? Is that good work? I mean, I didn't agree with everything in it, but there were some good things in it. And Scotland needs a clear economic policy. Government needs to set the framework and then get out of the way and let the entrepreneurs and the hard-working business people get on with it.
3: Well, I think at that time when we were involved in the conversation with Kate, we both pointed out that the two most important um, elements to delivering the 10-year growth plan was getting the two right people to hold the two key positions and it's fair to say that since they've installed what they were calling then the entrepreneur-in-chief, I think the lad's name's Greg but we've never heard from him. We've never heard a peep in the papers. We've never heard about the 10-year plan. So I just wonder, you know, yeah. we, with Kate moving out of our position, is, is there any, you know, is there an urgency in the new First Minister's Party to make sure that that's on track? It doesn't look like it. Well, we've got
2: Mark Logan, who's the... Entrepreneur for Scotland. He's yeah. coming to judge at the Scottish Edge, will I? Yeah. So I'll get a chance maybe to ask him, maybe invite him on the show if you're yeah. okay with that. Yeah. And um and we'll hear from him because he is champion. Um his role is to champion entrepreneurs in Scotland and have a voice round the table. Yeah. So let's see if he has. Yeah. Um there's a new sheriff in town. Yeah. Let's see what's happening. Because 0.3% will not achieve the civil society, the health service, the education service that we'd really want in Scotland. Well, you're right. We
3: mentioned last week, and there's been more PR about it this week, the new head of the SNB Bank. So we'd like to see the the people from the 10-Year Growth Plan, that's the chief exec, and Mark, who's delivering of entrepreneurs, we'd like to see that they were connected Right, and they were also listening to business and, and where we, where we can get our best bang for our buck and spending the money, allegedly, that SNIB has got to spend.
2: So this, later this week, I've got um, a Scale Up Scotland 2.0 down at Blair Estate and Willie Watt is coming to it. He's the chairman of, of SNIB. Yeah. So let's, let's ask him and I will report back next week to the Go Radio Business Show.
3: I look forward to that. <laughs> let's talk about but local and business, Lloyd's, uh-huh. have just announced fantastic profits,
2: two point three billion since January. Since January, Willie, that's even more than City. <laughs>
3: <laughs> what a turnaround!
2: What a turnaround from from two thousand and eight. Well, I mean, Lloyd's took over H. which was struggling at that point. But um, I think a lot of the UK banks are doing fine. But if you look across the pond, Willie. The news is not that good. Um, First Republic Bank, which these are maybe banks that Scottish businesses haven't heard of and and why would you? But it was the 14th biggest bank in America and JP Morgan had to save it last week. And a new bank, we all know Silicon Valley Bank went as well and HSBC came in for it. But there's another one called West, and its shares were down 50%. On Wednesday of last week, so, and I was reading that three of the four biggest bank failures in the US ever have all happened in the past two months. Yeah. So, is this something to worry about, Willie? I definitely think so.
3: I, I think that governments, to be fair to them, have have reacted very, very quickly so that we didn't have a two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. You know, repeat. There's no doubt that the things that have happened with the, with these so-called rescues of JP Morgan and by, you know, um, the Credit Suisse situation with UBS, there's no doubt that they had to step in ASAP or we were going to get a run on the banks. Yeah, but, but it's interesting, going back to the Lloyds thing, it's just a shame that part of the report... Is that they have managed to increase their net profits by about eight hundred million in the same period last year because of the interest rate
2: hikes? Yeah, so interest rate hikes, Willie. The the Fed again across the pond um, went up. It's it's quite interesting that they never give a precise figure for their interest rate. Willie, it's between five and five and a quarter percent, but that's the highest since two thousand and seven. Any read through to the UK? What do you think? Um, I I think it's
3: it's an interesting one. I, I think there may be two or three smaller banks at the moment looking at what's going on, and they might think there's a way. You know, it's, it's all about timing. Uh-huh. There's a chance here of a you know a bigger beast taking them over. But it's interesting when we're talking about that. At the same time, Apple are talking about opening a bank. Yeah,
2: through right. Goldman Sachs. Yeah, and,
3: and and offering all sorts of attractive interest rates. Yeah, four point
2: five percent. I mean, I you. A lot of customers and a lot of listeners might say, why is Apple getting into the banking? But I think Apple's got a consumer franchise. People trust Apple, Willie. All my devices are Apple, and I wouldn't know where I'd be without them. And therefore, when you've got a trusted brand, can that brand extend into consumer banking? Well, maybe. And I think they took a billion dollars in one evening. (laughs) So I think it's working. Unbelievable. And I, and I think it's because, Tom, we're talking about
3: banks like First Republic and Credit Suisse having to do these things because of the cash within the business. It's certainly not a problem at Apple. Right? The problem is they don't know what to do with their cash. They don't know what to do with their cash. Right, they don't know. So here's a, this will be interesting, Tom, but to see how this goes, especially to open up the bank, starting off by that promise of, of um, such a lucrative return on your money. Yeah, so
2: interesting. So an, another wee thing, Willie, to talk about this week is energy security. So again, the STUC, so the unions, have come out and criticised the Scottish government about not taking on nuclear. And Westminster has described the SNP and the Greens have, as having a Luddite mentality a Luddite mentality. For, for me, um,
3: it has to be part of the mix of what we need in the short term. And I mean short term, the next 25 years, right? We will not find the green energy that we would all love to have tomorrow, but unfortunately, it will, nuclear will be part
2: of the mix for the next 25 years. Yeah. We've only got one nuclear plant left in Scotland up in Torness and, torn this and yeah. the SNP are going to close it. But there was some good news, Willie. Um, up at Ardesir, up, up in way, which was a port which took advantage of the North Sea boom, but then it was closed about 20 years ago. But an American firm, Quantum Energy Partners, has came in with 300 million, and they're going to use it as a leading European hub for offshore renewable energy. So we talked about how does Scotland benefit from the selling off of these licences? Yeah. Well, here's an American company, and they're actually saying <laughs> they're actually saying that they're taking a hundred year view. I haven't saw many private equity firms taking a hundred year view, but good on them. They are putting their money where their mouth is. They're getting Addisir working again, and they have got ambitions to make it the leading European hub.
3: We have been talking about it for weeks and weeks and here is a perfect blueprint for what we're talking about is 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 available there. We are a big, big attraction for this sector and well done and good luck to them and we will watch this with interest. Great. Right, but more the merrier. The more the merrier, Willie. We need uh, some more, definitely. Uh, what about this week to see, Thomas, it'll interest you. House prices in Edinburgh have went up by £60,000 on average in
2: a year. Wow. You can't wait to get your houses built. Well, um, I have got a vested interest in this, Willie, but it's something that we um, track and I think the housing market has probably hit its lowest point. All of the big builders' share prices, which we track, have gone up substantially. So Barrett, Taylor Wimpey, Persimmon, Berkeley Homes, they're all up in the past week at least 5%. And mortgage approvals, which is a key indicator for that sector, from a very low point, I mean, List Trust really did muck mark this market up. Um, but the mortgage approvals are picking up as well. So I see some green shoots in it. And as we all know, most economies, if they're going to get out of recession, I know we're not technically in recession, but 0.3% of growth is no good. It's led by a housing boom. And because there's good jobs and there's good people employed in that sector. So, and we talk about it every week, you have set out your plans for what could be done in the affordable sector. But is anybody listening, Willie? I don't think so. No. I don't think so. Uh, I'm hoping to encourage a few
3: people to buy into the vision in the next few weeks. But I would say, going back to talk about the... 10-year growth plan to talk about the SNP. There is no doubt that tackling the housing problem, especially the affordable housing problem, should be top of the agenda for both of these organisations, working with the private sector. But I don't think that they they could deliver in in a better policy if they could help
2: sort the housing problem. It's a win-win for me, Willie. So let's hope somebody's listening. Let's talk about all the news this week, Tom, about the
3: dangers of AI. (laughs) <laughs> right, so we'll have a situation where Jeffrey Hinton, you know, who is recognised as one of the greatest experts in the world on AI, quitting Google because he is terrified of what he sees now of what actually AI could deliver.
2: Yep. So we talked about it a bit last week. You know, on the earnings calls from Google Alphabet, it was mentioned fifty-two times on Microsoft's earnings call it was mentioned 36 times so I have been trying to get as a guest, I think I may have done it over the next maybe three or four weeks Willie because I think it's like anything else that's new it's treated with a bit of suspect and there's all sorts of rumours and bad information you can either treat these things as an opportunity or a threat you know where I am, I think it's an opportunity Um, but Let's get an expert on, because I'm not an expert, but I really want to know, and I think our listeners, and because it's going to touch every business, Willie. It's either going to be a threat or an opportunity, and every business owner, every entrepreneur out there has got to get their head around what it means for their business. So I'm working on the guest, and um, if anybody out there has got any suggestions, please, because I think this is a subject that's going to touch every listener's business.
3: I think the most frightening statement from Geoffrey Hinton was not about what it may do in relation to taking people's jobs away, but the point he was making is that we're now working on something, on a system that could get completely out of control, (laughs) right? And could actually then
2: start to work against the human race on its own. I know. That's scary. I saw a little thing when I was trying to do my research on it and it was talking about playing chess. There's always these things. Yeah. You get the grandmasters of chess who've taken all their life to become the top in the world at it. And it and it, and it said with the latest AI, um, artificial intelligence, if it's playing against a grandmaster, it starts in the morning and the, grass, the grandmaster wins all the way to lunchtime. Yeah. By the time afternoon tea comes out, AI has beat them, and by the time dinner is served, it's the world champion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last week,
3: you mentioned about some of the companies who'd managed to win awards. Yes. Right, and we mentioned them. So I'd like to mention this week that uh initiative to let companies, especially in Lanarkshire, know about how you win such awards. Great. Okay? So uh, on the 17th of May, there's going to be a King's Awards information session Uh, and the key roles of the Lord Lieutenant in Lancashire is for the King's Awards for Enterprise to the Lancashire business community and this is to help businesses if you attend this session you'll have a better idea about how you can apply Uh, and obviously the King's Awards are very important accolade for UK businesses globally recognised Royal seal of Approval for our companies and there are four award categories and these are innovation, international trade, Sustainable development, promoting opportunity through social mobility. And you know, previous winners have confirmed that this has, you know, helped their business greatly. So I'm encouraging all businesses in Lanarkshire, North and South. If you'd like to find out more, if you take a wee note, if you if you email the Lord Lieutenant at Northland, that's L-E-N gov.uk, you'll get more and more information, but I would encourage all the businesses there to take part and go and find out how you can
2: win an award. Brilliant, because it's a great thing to have on your letterhead and your marketing, Wally. Great talking point for a business.
3: Well, I, I know Terry Curry, who chairs the Lancer um, Emily Business Group. Great guy, worked hard in the community for many, many years to help businesses, and I'm sure that he'll be delighted to help you apply.
2: And can I just finish off this segment, Willie, by congratulating yourself and your good lady? Because by the time this comes out, it will be noted that um, Willie has got a papal knighthood from His Holiness the Pope. Thank you, Tom. And Lady Susan has, in her own right, is going to become a papal dame. This is an amazing thing for you two and your family and Scotland is very proud of you.
3: Thank you so much. We were surprised, thrilled, and honoured to, to find out this news this week. But thank you. Brilliant.
1: Coming next, Hunter and Hockey chat to Mark Hunter, retired president and CEO of Molson Coors Brewing Company. The Go Radio Business Show, with Workflow Solutions, part of the Scottish procurement framework for managed print solutions, available to all public sector bodies and charities. Go.
0: There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitisation, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk the Go
1: Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. This week's special guest is Mark Hunter, retired president and CEO of Molson Coors Brewing Company. Mark was awarded an honorary doctorate in business administration from the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow, Scotland.
3: Tom, fantastic guest this week. I can't wait, really. Mark Hunter. Mark I've known for many, many years. He was the best marketing guy ever to come out of
2: Scotland. What a story. What a story. And I can't wait. And from reading the notes, Mark, um, we seem to be in a university together, although I didn't really go that much. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't quite remember.
4: <laughs> yeah, we were there, I think, 79 to 83. Wow. And, and to this day, my wife sometimes mentions that she maybe got involved with the wrong hunter. Uh, was.
2: I think she got involved with the right hunter. Don't uh, worry tell about her from that. me, definitely, Mark. <laughs> she got right with the right hunter. So, Mark, great to
3: have you. Tell the listeners a wee bit about the early days, when you started doing maintenance, and obviously the, the career that you've had thereafter. And we'll jump in and ask you a few questions.
4: Sure, sure. So I grew up in the west of Scotland, out in Bridge So St. Merne's my team before anybody asks. <laughs> okay. Uh, and actually I wanted to be a professional footballer. And I played for St. Merne Boys Club and... One of my great accolades is that Fergie told me I'm not good enough to be a professional footballer because he was there as a manager at the time. But many years later, in his autobiography, he did write at the front of it, so pleased you got yourself a proper job. (laughs) 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 Um, So I went to university, came out in 83, and at that time, it was really difficult to get a job. Uh, I was pounding the streets. I was going to be a photocopier salesman. I would have taken anything to get a job and uh, joined a card company, greeting card company called Hallmark Cards. Oh, yeah, I know it. Yeah, uh, great training, very, very good company to work for. I was there for a few years, and then I got into the booze business. Uh, Joined Bulmer's, a cider company, and then joined Tenants in uh, the late 80s.
2: So this was on the marketing side, Mark?
4: So I spent the first six years in sales. Sales, right, And then when I joined Tenants, I moved into what was called a trade marketing role. Okay. Um, And then after a couple of years, they moved me into brand marketing, which was looking after the brands. So I started to look after, at that time, Tenants Special and then Tenants Lager and then the whole portfolio. So that's the early 90s. And I spent, literally, the summary is, I then spent the next 30 years in the beer business. And is
2: that where you met Willie at
4: Tenants? Yeah. In that good old days? Yeah, that's right. So he was involved in supporting the company, installing all of our equipment into pubs across Scotland and uh, all the efforts from Mark
3: and growing the Tenants brand was great for me because every time they went a, a new pub we went in with cellar seller refrigeration equipment so I owe a lot to the LA successes to Mark and his team in the marketing
2: department at Tenants well, well, that, it was well ex- I hope
4: he's paid you back Mark I really <laughs> hope so well it was an exciting time because we did a lot of great work then we uh we launched Tea in the Park in 1994, yeah. which went on to be a fantastic success, yep. working with uh, DF, and the team there are still still around and doing a great job. Um, lots of great marketing initiatives at the time, It kind of really freshened up what is an, an institution in Scotland in terms of the Big Red yeah. Tea. Mark, did you launch the Tenant Sixties? No, that was before my yeah. time. But I did take the tenants' girls off the cans. Yeah.
2: Ah. Great movie. So,
4: so I th- uh, we did a lot of research at the time and it was very clear that they were well past their sell-by date uh, yeah. as we came into the 90s. So, so Mark, just talk about going from sales
2: to marketing. Was that a natural progressing progression for yourself? Was it something that you felt, I would really want to get into marketing or was it just one of these things that happened?
4: Uh, well, my degree had been in business and marketing, Right. and if you looked at any of the, the graduate programs, they always put you into sales for a couple of years before you went into the marketing department, so I just got a sales job and did it for six years, and I would recommend anybody who's interested in building brands, get close to your customers, uh, it's the best education you'll ever get, and particularly when you then get into marketing, because when you stand up and present, you got to think about your consumers, you've got to think about the retailers, you've got to think about the sales force, and you've got to motivate all of those stakeholders. And having had that experience at the front end of the business has been invaluable for me. Right. So your
2: story is quite remarkable. So you go from tenants and then you go on at the tender age of 34 to be on the main board of Bass, Bass Brewers, which is a vast company. How how does that happen?
4: (laughs) Uh... Hard work and a bit of luck. Right, okay. And uh, I, I mean, I never had a grand plan. So every time I, I was given an assignment, it was, okay, I'll, I'll give it the best I can at this point and, and opportunities will open up. Uh, and uh, we had a, a good few years with the tenants brand where we really got things turned around, moved down to run the Carling brand in, in England and Wales. That was successful for a couple of years and I was asked to step up and take on the you know, the marketing director role at the time. Wow, yeah. Uh, Quite a thing, Mark, at yeah. that age. Yeah, uh, yeah it was. Yeah. I, I do remember the chief exec at the time called me into his office and he said, just to let you know, our marketing director, a guy called Seamus McBride, is leaving. He says, I'd like you to step into uh, his role. I'm kind of, okay, I'm taken aback. He says, I've actually got a, an offer f- letter, do you want to take home and read it or sign it? I said, I'll sign it. <laughs> <laughs> and my hand was shaking so much, I couldn't actually write my signature.
0: Right.
4: Uh, I didn't even read what was on right. it. I just signed it. Uh, so, so what did you learn in sales that helped you in marketing? Uh, an ability to really listen and un- understand what people's motivations were. And mm-hmm. um, so I think you're really getting under the skin of the people that you you rely on. Nothing happens until you create some magic out in the marketplace. Uh-huh. And and that's where consumers, your drinkers, and your retailers are, you know, connected. So really understanding what's working and what's not working. Well, let me tell you a story about how good a job that Mark done back in those days...
3: Right. In the mid-90s, we were getting a bit of a reputation for supplying to the licensed trade, mostly due to, to tenants. And we were asked by Budweiser when they had made the initial 40 and to try to do draft in yep. pubs. It had all been bottled, but they decided. So Budweiser came to us and said, you guys do a lot of stuff for the brewers in Scotland. Will you be our um, distributor and engineering company for to install the draft? And uh, I'll never forget this. So we were invited to come to our Budweiser sales meeting, right? And it was done in England. And they brought on all the guys for the States. It was a it was a global sales conference of their sales team. And Mark was kind of going right ahead with the tenant stuff at, at that time. They were, you know, they were kind of knocking everybody out of the park. And they put up the, the, the sales director, global sales director of Budweiser put up a map of the world. Right, and they'd everywhere. uh, He actually said in the presentation, Mark, I hate using this word, but there is places actually where we've got saturation, and there was a wee dot. He said, but see this place here, (laughs) right, in the west of Scotland. Don't go near there. (laughs) Don't waste your time trying to get sales because this company here, TCB, right, as he called them, he says. The market here, and what they've got here is they've got the place sewn up. You will not, you will not get into that market. So don't waste your time. Exactly. So there's a great compliment, Mark. I haven't heard, from, I haven't heard
4: that. So. <laughs> there you
3: go. That's true. Wow. Yeah, in London. So TCB
2: Tenant Caldonian Brewers, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
4: Okay.
2: Owned, but then by Bass. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then, so what's happening? You're you're working there, but then this change at at yeah, there, in there, the business.
4: W- yeah, there was a ton of change in the brewing industry, and. Uh, Bass Brewers was put up for sale. Right. Because Bass Brewers sat alongside Bass pubs and Holiday Inns and Intercontinental Hotels and a a Coral, a a big, big conglomerate of businesses. Brewing division got put up for sale. To cut a long story short, most of Bass Brewers was sold to Coors, of the US course cool. right yeah. okay who are based in Denver Colorado they have been around since 1873 Wow <laughs> uh, so and still family still involved so oh, really? so it was we were still pretty much the same company in the UK but we had a new flag flying in the car park
2: so you you went with that business yeah I went with that
4: business and
2: how what's it like transitioning to a new owner how does that all work
4: uh, Well, the I think one of the big lessons is that when you bring cultures together, that's that's the trickiest thing. So the business was still pretty much the same business, but then you've got a US culture and a UK culture. There were some real differences. I remember the first <laughs> sales conference we went to, the guy who ran Coors was a guy called Leo Kiley, a, a fantastic gentleman. He'd worked for PepsiCo and he'd been at Coors. And uh, the guys from Bass, we were there in our shirts and ties and we were all quite... Kind of straight laced, and he walked on in his sweater and stood in front, stood in the middle of the stage, and he just looked around. And he said, "Yo, baby, <laughs> it's good to be here." And we all thought, "Oh, hmm, something, ha- something's happening around here." And, he, and you know, he was much more informal, much more casual. Uh, yeah. So it took a while for us to kind of uh, get with that. A kind of vibe, as it were. Yeah. Uh, but over, over time, uh, I think the business evolved really positively because of that involvement from Coors yeah. And they were they were really focused on brand building at the time, very people-centric as well. Yeah. Uh, so it was it was you know, another part of you know learning to be a stronger leader. Ta- talking about
3: brand building, let me tell you a wee interesting fact about <laughs> Bass. The red triangle from Bass, which was their trademark, was the very first symbol ever patented in Britain.
4: Yeah, first trademark. First trademark.
3: Wow. There you go, the red triangle. I did not know that. Interesting
2: fact. You learn something in the Go Radio Business Show every week. So, this journey, it's now heating up. Yep. You're now the boss there. You're now given more um, authority. So, tell us about the next step in the journey. Yeah,
4: three years later, Coors of the US and Molson of Canada merged. Right to form what is the company that now exists called Molson Coors. Right. So I was asked if I would move to Canada with my family to be what was called Chief Commercial Officer. So I was running sales and marketing. For the combined? For the combined business in Canada. Wow. So I went over there. Big step? Oh. It was a big step. And I do remember flying to Toronto by myself because my family were coming out a few weeks later. I thought, I've got a single ticket here. <laughs> <You> know, so <laughs> I, I do hope this works. Um, and great experience for me, great experience for my my family and uh, lots of great memories. And it's interesting, though, you learn from great leaders and you also learn from leaders where you see things, you think, okay, that's something which has affected me in quite a negative way, and I'll be on my guard for that. So the guy I went to work for took me for dinner, and he said, uh, "Just to let you know, this idea of a chief commercial officer, it wasn't my idea, and you do- <laughs> and you doing this job wasn't my idea as right. well." And I thought, "Well, here it's we a good are. Start. Here's well, a welcome, well, welcome to Canada." But but actually, the, the period of time there worked out well. Uh, it was a great experience. Another cultural uh, dynamic to manage, and uh, did that for three years, and then came back to the UK as a CEO of the UK business. So so tell the listeners because they'll be interested
2: about how you go to a different country, different culture, but you're the leader. So how do you get the best out of your people um, when they're looking at you going, oh, here's a foreigner come in from Scotland? Have we ever heard of Scotland? Yep. So how do you get the best out of your team then?
4: Yep. great, great question. So... Um, There's lots of books on leadership and lots of models on leadership. And I've got three things I focus on. So leading self, leading others and leading the business. Okay, And that was a model that was developed through my career with other people and, and enriched by many, many people and it's a really simple model. So it starts with self-awareness. Um, it's followed by really understanding the people on your team. And it's all about really understanding and being really truthful about the business that you're running. Uh-huh. So if you, if you can focus on the yourself, the others, and the, the, the business, it's a, it's a nice, simple model to use. And a lot of that starts with getting great feedback from the people that you're working for or working with. Uh, and then really understanding their motivations. So so when I went to Canada, the first 30 or 60 days was all about listening. You know, right. Getting into the business, underst- listening to customers, listening to the employees, what's working, what's not working. Trying to give people a sense that you, you had no real agenda other than to create a successful, high-performing team and business. Uh, and once you've done that listening, you can then start to create something with that team. Right. That's that's what I did.
2: I mean that that's a great thing, Willie, for the listeners this, this morning to talk yeah. about you know taking over and trying to not straight away go right. I know what's best for you. Just listening, I think is yeah. thing I great. think
3: the number one thing that Matt mentioned about self, uh, if you've got a good understanding of that, then it certainly helps with the other two. Yeah. Uh, in marketing, Matt, Mark, you always there'll be great successes and there'll always be humdinger's, right? <laughs> so. <laughs> To give you a minute to think about it, you know, um, what would you have said that was the best marketing strategy you ever had, and what was the worst? <laughs> I'll give you a minute to think about okay, it. We can go back for, to it. <laughs> thanks, thanks for that hospital pass there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, see, we're not going to throw you into the deep end, no. uh, But I was telling Tom earlier, you know, thought about that, I remember. Uh, I think you were at Tenants at the time but you might not have been responsible for this <laughs> but I remember uh, Tenants had this marketing idea and they had this glass cage in Victoria's nightclub where all this money was thrown out with an air machine and you had one minute to catch as many fibers as you could and put them in your pocket <laughs> and whatever you had in your, your person when you come out you get keep them and I'll never forget the fight to get into the box <laughs> I think
2: that sounds like
4: James Mortimer I, I think maybe one. James
3: maybe made that up himself <laughs> but, but it wasn't was a tenants initiative.
4: <laughs> yeah, I wasn't responsible for that one. No, I'm pleased, no, I'm pleased no, no. to say.
2: Definitely not. So you're now in Canada.
4: Yeah.
2: Interesting next step.
4: Yeah. So I came back to the UK to run the UK business for Molson Coors as a CEO.
2: Right. Wow. Uh,
4: and uh, did that uh, for about five or six years. And
2: what kind of size of business, just to give the listeners a feel?
4: Uh, the UK business turnover was about a billion pounds. Wow. Right. and second biggest brewery in the the UK. Wow. And the biggest the biggest beer brand in the UK, which was and still actually is, is Carling.
2: Is it? Wow. Yeah.
4: Yep. Which you also yep.
2: worked with. <laughs> I, I did.
4: Well it was it had gone with the with the the purchase of the business. And did you
2: change anything in your leadership style from going to now being the boss? Or was it just no, this is how Mark does it and listen, learn.
4: Again, great question. Uh, I think I think good leaders are authentic. Uh, so the notion that you you start behaving in a different way is something that people would see through. So I would say you continue to evolve your leadership style, but I wouldn't say you dr- I dramatically changed it. So you, 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 I had to focus much more on empowering the team. So I've, I've got an even more senior team. Uh-huh. If I've selected the right team, I've got to trust them and empower them. So let's agree what the game plan is, let's agree what our ambition is and what we're trying to get done and let's agree which part of the plan we all own and then really support your team to be the best they can be. And that was my job, which was to make sure that we could create a plan everybody understood and then really empower and support the team to get on with it. Yeah.
3: Over the last 30 years, Mark, you'll have seen huge changes, especially in consolidation in the industry. Do you think we're better for it that there's more larger companies or was it better when we did a lot more choice?
4: Well, I don't think choice is dissipated at all. There's yeah. probably more choice than we know what to do with now. Yeah. So I don't think there's been any impact on choice. And look there's there's pluses and minuses with larger businesses you get the economies of scale etc etc so i don't think you can say it's good or bad i think there are some great large businesses and there are some poorer large businesses there's some great small businesses and there's some poor small businesses so i think it's too difficult to generalize to be honest
2: yeah yeah so so talking about scale um because you've gone from being the salesman you're now responsible for a billion pounds of turnover so you're obviously not daunted Mm. with the numbers yeah you know we talk a lot in this show about businesses scaling up and goodness people look at it and go wow this is a big journey but when it's written down it seems easy mark we all know it isn't easy Mm. so what's your kind of any tips for people scaling up because you've you've been right at the heart of the scale up journey Mm. any any tips what went right what went wrong what did you learn
4: uh probably two or three things be very clear about what makes your business distinctive what what why why do you have a right to compete and be successful and if you can't articulate that you've got a you've got a problem right uh the second thing is um building a great team around you and if i look back in my career believing that i could coach people to greatness at times was probably a a failure on my part a failure yeah so there are some people that you just, you realize aren't going to get there and, and you, <laughs> you you give them another six months or another six months when you should really have had the, the difficult conversation. Yeah. And that's happened two or three times. There's a yeah. great
2: phrase from Sir Alex as well, yeah. which I used when, when we took over a business and said, um, I don't know what we're going to do without you, but we're going to give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: so, so So building the right team Uh, And be be having a healthy dissatisfaction with how they're performing, right? And then the third thing is managing the cash in the business. Wow! And managing the balance sheet. A lot of people talk about profit, but it's the cash which is magical in any business. Indeed, so your working capital, making sure you're all over that because if you've got the cash, then you can make things happen. And if you don't, then you're always on the back foot. Yeah. So th- those are things that I would offer up as kind of observations through my time. Yeah. And obviously from the UK, I then went to run a Euro- the European business and then ended up across the States, which was a- an even bigger business at so, that time. So what
2: kind of size did you end up running?
4: <laughs> uh, well, Molson Coors globally has got revenues of about $12 billion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, wow. 17,000 people in 35 countries. So I did that for about five years. So I was based out in Denver, Colorado. Oh. So how is, how is Denver for a quality of life? Is, uh, it, is the it better w- than Bridge of Weir? The, the, the weather was similar, <laughs> 300 days of uh, blue skies and sunshine. But but to be honest, I spent most of, a lot of my time on airplanes flying, flying to places. So... Yeah. um But... All Of the things that I'd learned on my journey about leadership in terms of that self, others, and, and the business was the model I continued to use right through and, and, and into that role as well. So, so, Mark, we we bring people
3: on here under false pretenses, you know, that we want to big them up, but really we're going to mug them, you
2: know. Uh, <laughs> well, Willie Mugs, <monks> yeah.
3: Them. <laughs> so, Tom has been involved and in, you know, and try to help start up businesses, and we've tried to, to help, but not, not to the extent that he has. And obviously, we don't say it lightly, one of the greatest marketing guys that ever came out of the West of Scotland. Um, is it something where you would, you know, you're looking to maybe help give something back? You could go and talk to start-up businesses, you know, scale try to help businesses. people scale
4: up businesses, you know, to help them with their with marketing? Well, one of the things that I've done since I stopped working full-time is... I chair a whiskey company in Scotland now, and I really wanted to get involved with a public company in Scotland where I can give it a name check. So it was the Artisanal Spirits Company, and their big brand is the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, which is a a great, great model. Uh, So I I, I chair that business, and I've invested in about eight small businesses, and really to try and support the founders and the CEOs. Mm. Uh, they don't always listen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Entrepreneurs, well, like, I, I you would know. actually say, actually they do listen, but they don't always take your advice, which no, is which is which, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. Uh, so I've been trying trying to do that, um, and I'm involved a little bit with Strathclyde University as well. So right. uh, I'm looking for ways to to support people and right. impart a little bit well, of. Well, we experience can help sure you plenty of ideas. Yeah.
3: You'll be doing the next four talks at the scale up <laughs> marketing events. Right, I've gave you long enough. What was what was your best marketing idea ever and what was your worst? <laughs> I didn't
4: think you were actually going to come back to that. <laughs> uh, I would say prob- probably tea in the park. Yeah. In the middle of a whole kind of renovation of the Tenants brand was a thing that just really cut through. Right. Um... What was the worst? (laughs) (laughs) Taking the tenants' girls off the cans. No, no, no. There's been a couple of innovations that I thought were really going to fly and didn't really make it very far. So, But I won't go into the detail of those. But then everybody's got a few of those in there, as Americans would say, in the locker room. So So you're you're back living in
2: Scotland now. Back in the UK. Back in the UK. Yeah. And um, so what, because you're still a young man, you know, we're of of similar ages. And... um, so what made you say, right, okay, I am now we're running this huge business based out of the States, but I'm, I'm actually
4: had enough. Is that something you want to share? Uh, yeah, I'm happy to share. I mean, two things. Uh, the year after I got married, so 1986, my father was killed in a car accident. Oh. In his early 50s. And I thought that was at a time he was just starting to, you could see, enjoy life and do things he hadn't done before. Uh-huh. And that really hit me hard at the time. And I thought, I don't want to work just for the sake of work. And I'll work for as long as I need to work before I can then you know, move into a different phase of my life. Right. So I'd always thought kind of mid-50s, late-50s would make sense. And then I got a bit of an elbow in the ribs when I was in Denver because I got diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Ah, and I thought, ah. okay, someone's maybe just tapped me on the shoulder here and said, you know, you're you're working 24-7 and you'd promised yourself that you you... Didn't want to work, work forever. So I, I I already got my successor identified in the business. And actually, that's one of the things I'm proud of, which is in every single job I've been promoted from, I always had an ex, a successor ready to step up. Great
2: leadership. Up. Well, um, it's it's a sign of a great leader when yeah. they've got their successor ready.
4: So so it was, let's call it a lifestyle, family, Okay. Uh, you know, r- rationale for d- deciding to get off that. So you've really thought it through, Mark, I can
2: yeah. tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good
4: on you. And, w- and where did you come back to live, Mark? You go back to bridger No, no, we're actually, my, both my kids are in London, so we've moved yeah. closer to London's and we've just become grandparents. Oh, and, wow, okay. congratulations. And we just, we've been kind of international nomads for about 17 years <laughs> and I just wanted to get back and be near the kids and spend yeah. more time with them and be available for yeah. them. Well, we're very proud in the
3: Go Radio Business Show that some of our guests are up there with
2: the Galacticus and you're certainly part of that team. <laughs> yeah, it's been great hearing the story, Mark, this morning. And I'd just like to finish by saying your wife made the right choice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Thanks, guys. Great to see you, Mark. Thank Brilliant. you very much.
4: Brilliant.
1: The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Turning your paper-based processes into organised digital workflows. Go Radio
0: There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk
1: The Board You Can't Afford. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey.
3: A guest this morning on The Board You Can't Afford is Paul Harkins. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on.
2: Morning, Paul. It's it's lovely to have a guest in the studio, Willie, that we can speak to. Yes. In in real life, IRL, as my daughter tells me. Only the second time. Only the second time. Paul, would you like to tell listeners a wee bit about you,
5: the business, and whatever your question is? Yes, so we're an IT solutions provider. We, we work with businesses actually across Europe. Um, we've grown the business from kind of traditional hardware moved into kind of services uh, provision. So we're up to 35 staff at the moment. Great. Um, what's the name of your business? Aspen Solutions. Give it a plug. Aspen's, Where are you based? We're based, we've got a sales office in Glasgow and we've got the uh, headquarters out in Cumbernauld. Okay. So what's your question for the board? question is, we've grown the business, well I've been involved in business now for 10 years, The a family business originally so um, we've grown it up to 10 million turnover. Um, 10 million? Yeah, 10 million. Wow. Um, we've got a bit of turnover in Ireland, a bit of turnover in the UK and what we're finding is that I've got a couple of key individuals who are really taking projects and really driving through the business on behalf of the customers um, as we get that, as we want to scale I've got ambitions to scale the business um, probably triple over the next five years. I'm just wondering if you guys have had that experience of getting extra staff to take more responsibility on the tasks so it's not down to those key individuals. So it's almost like how you attack, attract, retain um, and, and almost like kind of get the right staff in the business.
0: Yeah.
3: Well, I've had many experiences of this and uh, that sounds like a good business, good small business um, and very ambitious to, to, to grow, you know, to three times the size in five years. And for me, way back in the day, this was a big, big question as well where, you know, we were started off as a six million pound business, and overnight we were having a quantum. You know, we went to a thirty million business. probably the same growing pains, nice growing pains that you're going through as well. And there is no doubt that you will see people and you will spot talent. That's what will make you a good leader in your business. That you see that it's the number one thing that you'll ever do well. Uh, that you've got to do well in your business. So, what you want to do is maybe increase the scope of what they do now and maybe give them a wee bit more. And then take them out of their comfort zone. You know, like, for instance, you know, that as you, if you're going to grow in personnel, that if you're the really good sales guy, that maybe you've got a wee bit better understanding of HR, mm-hmm. not a better understanding of the IT. Try and look at it as if you were trying to groom them maybe to do what you do, right? And that's what I've done. And what I've managed to do at that is, Paul, I've been lucky over the last 20 years as we have grown across the globe, The the reason for our successes in America and Asia and Australia is that it was people who grew up in the business in Glasgow who we managed to send there and they're now the CEOs there. Mm -hmm. So just like you're having to this question for you is now, for me it was twenty odd years ago. And I've been very, very fortunate. I think I've had to pick probably five or six people, and I think only maybe in one or two occasions that it didn't work out. Right. But what I would say to you about that is we touched on it last week, is that If you do get it wrong by stretching someone, don't think that's a failure. Put them back to what they were really good at doing. Some people make that mistake of, oh, no, it didn't work. They need to go. I've never done that. No one's ever left the business. So my advice would be is to give them a wee bit more to do and then you can trust them even more and more and get them to learn more about the business.
2: Okay. Yeah. So first of all, Paul, congratulations on your business and the growth of it so far. And it's great you're ambitious to to grow. Scotland needs thousands like you, which is the purpose of the show, is to encourage people like yourself. Well, he's dead right that as a founder, as the leader of your business, the most important job you need to do is to be a talent spotter. And I'll remember there's a brilliant book by Michael Dell, who you'll know who Michael Dell is, and um. Michael Dell talks about growing his business, and my God, did he grow his business? (laughs) I mean, exponentially. But I think it was up until his business was about 1,500 people, he still interviewed every person because he said that was the key to his success, was his people, and therefore, as the leader of that business, I want to make sure I'm getting the right people in here. So... It's it's something we don't talk about that often, but I think Willie's put it great. The talent spotter. You need to be out and about, one, selling your business. It's a great place to work. And then seeing the talent that's out and about, your talent spotting, you're saying, would you like to come to my business? And then creating an environment in which talent can really flourish. Now, that's a hard job, but that's a great job to have. But the other thing I would say is if you don't feel you've got that, that's okay. Find somebody who does and bring them in with you. Yeah, yeah. that's key that if you very quickly realise that maybe someone
3: will not be able to carry out the the, the task that you're looking for is to then say that you have to make that decision, you've got to bring someone in. But what I should have also added is also is maybe add to their, their education and their qualifications. You know, look at an MBA and whatever plan that you have, you know, for them in the business. Another thing I would say is, if they're not on the board, if they're just part of the senior management team, get them closer to you. You know, have a lot of wee cups of tea, you know, round the table and talk about things that they might not know about the business. Get them. The more information you can give them about the business, the more that you'll get back for them.
5: Perfect. Hope yeah. that helps. No, Very much appreciated. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, uh, Thank so you
2: for coming on. Keep in touch with the show. Yeah. We're looking forward to hearing about your success. So come back on and tell us how many people you've employed yeah. and paying their taxes, Willie, and helping Scotland flourish. We'll hopefully be talking about in the show in five
3: years' time about Aspen Solutions... international International. now turns over 30 million employing 150 people
5: brilliant (laughs) good luck Paul thanks guys cheers
1: the Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions helping your business with document management print and IT solutions